Let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. And last week we heard a great message about prayer being the primary work. Ian Bounds said that. Ian Bounds said prayer is the primary work. And um, my wife and I were talking about that a couple weeks ago about prayer. And, you know, our wives, got, they are just gifts from God. And, and, uh, and she doesn't tell me what to do with the church. And she's very hands off. But she just said, you know, like prayer is such an important thing, isn't it? Just seeking God in prayer. And we don't break through in warfare by our determination, by our intentionality. But we break through by the unseen work, and that is in prayer in our closets or wherever we go to pray. If it's in your car or if it's in a special place or you do you go for a walk, prayer is such a key. And I really would like to take this summer and just spend a lot of time in prayer. You know, just something that's on my heart. Um, pray, pray for people, pray for the city, pray for our families, pray for our Co-workers, people that we are working with, pray for ourselves. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, I want to just go back to these verses here. and Let's just read this together. And I'd just like to speak today and just continue the series on spiritual warfare. Uh, the devil who is the father of lies and the one word that defeats the devil. And I want to talk about that this morning by the grace of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord, Ephesians 6, verse 10, and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then let's look at John 8, verse 44. And Jesus here is speaking to Jews, and some of them have believed, but some of them are questioning Jesus. And he says to them, uh, when they are pushing back, they are questioning him. They are actually saying to Jesus, uh, we were, are, we are the sons of Abraham. We were not illegit- illegitimately born, and that was a jab at Jesus because Mary had Jesus, and he, she wasn't yet legally married or uh, had any physical union with her husband Joseph, and now she's pregnant. And so that was a jab at Jesus, and and he responds to them, and he said, and they're asking these questions, and Jesus is saying. Why don't you understand what I'm saying to you? Why don't you discern this? I want to talk about discernment in a minute. And then Jesus says, it's because my word has no place in you. And he says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, <clears throat> for he is a liar and the father of lies. Martin Luther, how many have heard this hymn? I mean, I'm sure you've heard this hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It's, this was written uh, in Germany in the 15, late, uh, about 15, late 1500, about 1520s. Uh, he wrote this, Martin Luther wrote this, and this is considered to be the greatest, one of the greatest or the greatest hymn of the Reformation. And uh, it is a rough hymn. When you read the words, if you read the words of it, it has a very rough sound to it, uh, a very, a very battle-like sound. And when 
Martin Luther wrote this, he was thinking of Psalm 27 uh, when, he's, when he's writing here in verse 1, whom shall I be afraid of? Oh, my, uh, my refuge is in God. And he writes these words, and I want to read these words to you this morning. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. And then here's the part I want us to focus on. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. And then get this, one little word shall fail him. One little word, word will defeat him. And so just three things I want to speak about this morning. I want to talk about who is our adversary, the liar. I want to talk about how he lies. What is that? And then number three, what is that little word that will fell him? What is that little word that defeats the devil tactically? And so number one, the liar, the devil is a liar. You know, Satan is a liar and he's the father of lies in John 8 verse 44. There are nine titles for our enemy in the Bible. There are nine titles for our enemy Lucifer is number one, and number two is guess which one? It is the devil. And the word devil means liar. It means liar. It also means accuser and slanderer. Someone who is bringing accusations against someone. How many of you have been accused of something before, whether you did or did not do it, and you sense that barb, that, that stab, that punch, in the gut when you are being accused. In Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, it describes the devil as an accuser or the word diablos, diablos in the Greek, diabolos in the Greek. I think I just said it the Spanish way, didn't I? Diablos. <laughs> and, the, and in Spanish, it's really the closest, one of the closest translations to the Greek word. It just means accuser, and get this, okay? Accuser. It it is a legal term. It's like a prosecuting attorney. He is the accuser. This is a legal term that you find in a court of law referring to accusations against God and against believers. That the devil is accusing you. And the devil accuses today teenagers. He is speaking to young people. And he is accusing them of things He is speaking lies, and he uses in Ephesians 2, verse 2, the atmosphere. The unseen world of vibrations, of impressions, and of of, um, uh, spiritual warfare. Do you know that communication, communication that people have between them, or communication that happens, is only about 6% audio, audible? That communication is only 6% something that can be heard. Okay? So there's 94%. Get this. 94% of the world of communication that is going towards you is unseen. 94% between people and between uh, the demonic world and the angelic world and the world of the kingdom of God is 96% inaudible. That's amazing. We are walking satellite dishes. We are, we are walking around and, 
there's a part of our brain, and I'm not going to tell you what it is because it's just a long word. It's a part of your brain that's like an antenna that is receiving continually vibrations and frequencies and communication on the level of the atmosphere. And it's like you're walking around like, like, a, like, a, like a, a device that is receiving information that's connected to a network. And we are continually being, while we sleep and while we are awake, we are continually being communicated to. Okay? Continually. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? That's why it says in Revelations 12, verse 10, that day and night he is accusing the brother. When you're asleep, the devil is accusing you. When you're awake, the devil is accusing you. Whatever state you're in, the devil is speaking to you. So Satan was judged, right? Remember, what did Jesus, what did God say in Genesis 3? Okay, what did he say in Genesis 3, verse 14? Remember what he said? He said that he, he cast judgment, God cast judgment on, this, on, on, this, on Satan, on the devil, the serpent. And he says, you're going to be bound to the earth. You're going to be slithering on the ground for all the days of your life. Uh, and on and on and on. And so at that moment, he is condemned for, and he's heading towards the lake of fire. But the question is, why after the deception of Adam and Eve, has he not been already banished to the lake of fire? Why? Why is, why is there a delay in the judgment? Why is there a postponement of the fulfillment of Satan and his demons going into the lake of fire? Why is God waiting? What is that all about? Remember the title, the second title of our adversary is devil, which is a legal term. And I just want to, and this is something that Pastor Stevens has taught in the past, something that you can Read, read into if you're reading these words in the Greek that the reason why the whole picture of warfare is, is portrayed in a way that describes it's like a concept of a trial like a courtroom scenario how many of you have seen these uh, I, for me it was never really interesting but I knew it was really big for a while these 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 um, Reality TV, where there's a court se- court session going on, you can actually listen in to, you know, the judge speaking to the accused, and then you know, like it's this kind of drama. How many of you? All I can remember is something way back in the day was, was it um, Judge Judy? Judy. Or, yeah. <laughs> How many of you remember? How many of you ever seen that? There's some kind of fascination with just seeing people getting accused and getting getting yelled at by the judge and sitting there looking shameful, you know, like for what they did and then the accusations. There's something that is very attractive to the flesh for that. And so spiritual warfare is described in the concept of a trial, okay, a trial, a courtroom trial. Where can we see this? We can see this in Job chapter 1, verse 7 and 8. And when you read these verses, you see that the devil comes into the presence of God to accuse Job of all of his blessings. And, and the devil says to God that Job, your servant, because God is speaking to Satan and he said, hey, look at my servant Job. This is what God does in the face of the devil. He takes you and I and he smears your life in the face of the devil. And he boasts about his grace in your life. Isn't that awesome? God likes to take his people and just 
Um, I don't know if you saw the, the, the game with um, the, the Rockets and, and, um, and the Warriors the other day. And uh, was it Harding? I don't remember. How many watched that game? Harding threw it in. The, uh, had a great shot from, I think it was the corner shot. And he did this shimmy thing. Did you see that? <laughs> he was shimmying. Kind of like, and I don't remember who that, the guy was on the, on the Warriors. I don't remember that guy's name. But he kind of was just kind of mocking that player that he got around him and he got the shot. And that's what God does with the devil. <laughs> that God is doing the shimmy dance in one sense in front of the enemy. And we can just, for the sake of today, the Warriors are uh, in the midst of, I think that we, I think we lost last night. Didn't we? I watched the game. I don't understand why that happened. Second, it seemed like second half of the game, what happened? It's just kind of like they gave up. I don't know. Maybe they're missing. Um, what's his name that got injured? Yeah, he got injured, so he's out. So, Job 1, verse 7, God says to Satan, Have you seen my servant Job? And Satan says that Job loves you because you have blessed him. Take away his blessings and he'll curse you to his face. It can be deducted here in these verses comparing Scripture with Scripture, that Satan was allowed to appeal his sentence to the lake of fire. Meaning this, is that at Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, God judged the devil. And he said, I'm judging you, you're going to be defeated, and you're going to go into the lake of fire. Why did that not happen immediately? Because we can see here by deduction that the devil actually appeals his case to God. He says, I want to appeal. I want to appeal the sentence to the lake of fire. And so God, being fair, allows his sentence to be appealed. And that, that sentence will not be carried out until the end of human history. So from Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 to the end of time, there is this appeal going on. There is this court case appeal. There is evidence that's being brought. And so to resolve Satan's appeal, what does God do? God uses the human race, the, a race that is lower in rank than angels and demons. And we see this in Psalm 8, verse 5, that God creates a race of people, a, a creation, Adam and Eve, that are lower than the angels because they are in some way, they, are, they need to eat, they need to sleep, they have uh, natural needs. And so human beings, by nature, are lower in rank than angels. Okay, you getting this? Satan appeals his case. He, say, he appeals his... Satan says, but, you know, I'm condemned to the lake of fire. I'm appealing my case. God says, I will let you appeal your case. And then he, and we see this in Job chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. God uses human beings in Psalm 8, verse 5. And he uses this race, us. He uses you and I, you, in your daily life, to, to show um, through you and I to be witnesses in a court case against the devil. Just as in court, we as believers have been summoned with a privilege. Have you been, how many of you have been summoned to court as a, as for jury duty or for something else? You've got something in the mail and you've been summoned. You cannot refuse that. If you do not go, a warrant can be sent out for your arrest, right? You have to go. You get that thing in the mail, and if you're a teenager here and you have not been, you know, those days are coming. You get this thing in the mail, and whatever plans you had for that day have to take a, have to take a back seat or have to be postponed because you've been summoned. We have been summoned 
into this court case, which has been as a witness to God or and to Satan, to angels, and to this whole world. Justice is in court. We've been summoned to, and this is a privilege to be a witness at the stand. We've been called to the stand. We've been called. And just like a prosecuting attorney will will call up a witness, they will cross-examine that witness, try to get that witness to mess up on his testimony, to say something contradictory. He will, he will try, and this is what the devil does to the believer. He wants to call him forward, just like he did with Job. He calls Job forward, and he says, I will cross-examine Job, and I will prove to you, God, that Job loves you because you bless him, and that he doesn't have any character. And so, the, so Satan is allowed to, he's allowed to do everything he can except for take his life. And he says, he says to Job, I'm going to cross-examine you for, a, for several months. You're going to lose everything, and we're going to listen to your testimony. We're going to listen to what your witness is. And if you don't believe this, if you don't think that this is real, it is real. It is real. And you know, by the way, as soon as we start talking about warfare, people are going to come under attack. And they... And this is what happens, that there, is that when we start walking into the, to the enemy's territory and start talking about his schemes, like Paul said, I would not have you ignorant of his devices. Devices. Isn't, isn't this what we call these devices? That's weird, isn't it? Apple with a thing, like a bite missing out of it. That's kind of weird. Isn't that That's creepy. <laughs> devices, the devil's schemes. We, and that God does not want you to be ignorant of his schemes. This is what church is all about. This is what a body of Christ is, that we would be educated in the finished work of Jesus Christ and how that we can live with a daily tactical advantage over our enemy. We are called as witnesses. And guess what? Ephesians 3 verse 10 says this. So that through the church, through you, you know, through the Johnson family, you know, through, through whoever, through the church, that the manifold wisdom of God, what says, would be manifest made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Rulers and authorities. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that Ephesians 6? Principalities and powers? Yes, this verse tells us that you and I are called into the courtroom to be witnesses at the stand before God, before people, before the world, before the angels, and before the demons, to reveal the manifold wisdom of God. And, and guess what? Does Job know that? Does Job know that he's been called into this court case? Does Job have any idea? Does God say, hey, guess what? Satan has come to me, and he wants to sift you. And he, wants to, he wants to mess your life up. He wants to call you to the, scan, to the stand. He wants to cross-examine you, Job. But I wanted to say, hey, can you put it a good word in for me? <laughs> Here's what's going on. God doesn't do that. God does not tell Job what's going on. Job, God allows Job to walk into a situation that he's not prepared for, that he's not informed about, and to be cross-examined by the enemy. And what happens? This whole courtroom struggle is what we call the angelic conflict in spiritual warfare. The angelic conflict. Now, we said this before, that, you know, like in a lot of third world countries, it is very clear to them that there is a battle going on, that there is, there is a struggle between good and evil. In our culture, in our, in, in, our, in, in our suburbia where we live, in the spring and the woodlands, we don't see that, do we? 
maybe, maybe we do. We see that in schools. Just recently, we had um, like this shooting in San, in, in League City, uh, in Santa Fe. Like it's there, and sometimes it pops up its its ugly head. This whole courtroom struggle is what we call angelic conflict. And guess what? What is that warfare? What is the struggle? This is a point I want you to remember, okay? This is important. What is the struggle? The struggle is the devil contending with the choices that you and I make. That you and I, through the decisions that we make, would either vindicate God's grace and God's wisdom, or that we would be a witness against God. Isn't that amazing? That you and I are called to the stand that we would be either a witness to, to God's grace, God's love, God's finished work, that God's his immutable character, God's incredible um, integrity, or that our confession would be, I am negative, God, you failed me, uh, why did you not do this in my life, being totally ignorant of warfare around us. And guess what? We do that. We are going to say that. Job did that. There are going to be times when we fail. There are going to be times we fail 97 to 7 times 7. But in the end, Job here, we know his confession was a confession of the character and the, and the, uh, the majesty and the almightiness of who God is. And this is what you and I, this is what our days look like. Every day we're called to the stand to testify about the character and the nature of God or we're testifying, we are called to be, or we are, we are finding ourselves testifying against the nature of God. Is that clear? This is what warfare is. From the very beginning, the devil has twisted and contorted truth of God into a lie. Everything the devil says is a lie. And this is where it's going to start getting practical in Ephesians, in Genesis 3 verse 1. From the very beginning, Satan's favorite lie has been to attack the grace of God. What does Satan hate the most? He hates the grace of God. He hates the goodness of God. He hates the, the love of God. He hates the finished work. He hates the image of God, which is good. And this is the first point. Satan is a liar. We've established that. He's lying. He's appealed his case. And he's trying to create lies. And he's trying to, he's trying to confuse his witnesses um, witnesses of God so that they would testify against him. So that he, the devil thinks in some way that he can appeal and win this case against God. How does he lie? How does the devil lie? Well, John White, and this is very interesting. I read this recently. John White, a Christian counselor, wrote a book years ago, and he said, this is how the devil works. Take a piano, open up the top of the piano, start saying a word over and over, and one particular string in that piano is going to start vibrating. It's a string that's attuned to your voice. How many have done that? Have you ever gone up to, a, up to a piano and said something and kind of heard the vibration of strings there? Because you and I, our voices are tuned to a particular tone. As a matter of fact, we don't even have to touch or pluck the string, yet it's vibrating to the frequency of your voice. Okay. This is how the devil plays on this is how the devil works. He is working on what's already in you. Just like a piano, he wants to open up the cover of your soul and start speaking words into your life that aggravates what's already there in you through lies. Does that make sense? You and I have a soul. This soul has strings to it. 
there we have a, we are attuned to a certain free, to a certain uh, t- tone or song, and the devil wants to try to speak to those strings in your life of something that's already there and aggravate it and cause it to vibrate, so that there is there is a tune that's coming out of that out of that out of that piano or out of our soul. He wants to try to aggravate what is already there, our old sin nature, wounds, things that have happened in the past, um, maybe something recent, maybe something that's been, um, that is something that's old. He wants to speak into a person's life through lies, and he wants to try to activate something in our soul. He wants us to stir up the old sin nature to create something through words, through vibrations. And that's the reason why, for example, it says in Ephesians 4, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Um, somebody recently, I think someone, I think the story goes that a, a couple was married for decades and they were just old. They were married for many, many years. And someone had asked them, what's the secret of being married for so long? And they said, never go to bed angry at your spouse. Because you know something, when we live in anger, there's a vibration inside of us that is destructive. It is corrupt. Don't give the devil a, a, a foothold. When we allow things that have happened to us to, to continue unresolved, it's a string that the devil can speak to and cause a vibration or an aggravation or an annoyance inside of you. We have to let things go. This morning I was just praying and I was saying, God, you know, this is your church. These are your people. This is, this is you. This is your work. And we have to let things go to the Father. We have to let things go to God. We have to bring things in surrender to the cross. In our families with our kids, we have to bring our kids to the cross and say, these are your kids, God. Um, these, are not, these are my kids, but I mean, I've, given, I've been given stewardship over them for a period of time. But look, these are your kids. Anything that we have not surrendered fully to God is going to cause aggravation and annoyance. It's something that the devil can speak to, and it can cause conflict in our soul. That's warfare. Is that clear? Anything that I have not surrendered to God. Lust is something that I want that I have not surrendered to God yet. And say, God, that doesn't have to happen in my life. I surrender that to you. And when we surrender these things to God, I'm not just talking about sensual lust. I'm just talking about envy for things that we want so that we can feel in some kind of sense of significance. And this is what happens. Remember what we said a couple weeks ago. That things can happen to a person and that wound them very deeply in Proverbs chapter 18. That the words of a talebearer or the words of a liar go deep into the soul, it says, and it causes corruption and damage. And when that happens, if that's not healed, if somebody's been abused or somebody's been betrayed or if somebody's been wronged or embarrassed or hurt in some way, if that's not healed, then that becomes something that is a wound. And what happens with that? If it remains unhealed, then we create these vows. That I, I talked about this, right? We create these vows. We create these commitments that I'm going to protect that area of my life so that if anybody ever touches that area, they're going to meet knives and, and spears, and they're going to be, I'm going to be protecting that area. There are things in people's lives that, have been, that are so deep that remain unhealed that they've been forgotten. And then when life happens, we don't know why, but we get angry or we get anxious or we get depressed. We withdraw into our little corners and we, you know, we, we protect ourselves. 
And we create these vows and these vows are these promises that I'm never going to let myself be in that situation again. I'm never going to let that happen to me. I'm going to take control and I'm going to, I'm going to protect myself. But guess what happens? Grace has a way of resting, wrestling things out of our control that we can no longer control. We have to trust God. If we're going to walk in the life of grace, that means that we have to surrender our fleshly control on things. And this is something that every one of us faces is that we have to surrender. And that's what happens if we don't surrender these things. And when we, current, when we create these vows, we are creating what is called a false self. It's called, it's called an image of, 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 it's the anti-creation of what we've been created to be. We are new creations in Christ. We are not created to like live in self-defense and to protect ourselves. We are created as new creations in Christ. And to experience that new creation, we have to allow those things that have been, that have been broken inside of us to be healed by the cross, the finished work, and the grace of God, the unconditional love of God. I was in you when I was overseas. We took a couple of days and we went to Ukraine and just we were there to visit the church there. And I was just thinking about that country of Ukraine. It's just um, I hope and Ukrainians that listen to this don't get offended. The country is just so disorganized. There's just so much chaos there. It's just such a mess. And you know, I was on a plane, Lufthansa. It was just Germany is awesome. It's just so organized. You just like. I think, and they were, you know, everybody looks so amazing, it's beautiful people. We're on this plane, Lufthansa plane, and we're boarding it, and we're flying to Ukraine. This is a previous trip, and the plane was full of Ukrainians, not Germans, not Americans, and so when they were doing their spiel about, you know, safety procedures, how many of us, you know, the masks and everything, it's extremely, extremely organized, you know, like, but it was all in German and English. And so, you know, there's Ukrainians. They don't even know what's going on. They're just all talking. They're laughing. It's just a mess, you know. So I'm sitting next to this young couple, Ukrainian couple. And later on, I found out they were from the eastern Ukraine where there's war. They're young. They're just, like, laughing. And they're looking at the, they're looking at this, you know, these little cards. And they have pictures of what to do in a, in a state of emergency. And, they, you know, they have one of these pictures where, like, and we're sitting in the emergency room. It has a picture of this person grabbing the big door and lifting it up over their head and throwing it out the window. And so they're laughing, and the Ukrainians are saying, oh, that looks like the Hulk, you know? And they're just joking and stuff. So this lady comes up to us. This flight attendant comes up and says, um, in German to me, I imagine she said, you know, do you know what to do? This is emergency road. And she understood I didn't understand German. So she speaks to me in English, and she says, are you, she says, are you able to lift 70 kilos? I said, I think so. What is 70 kilos? I don't even know what that is. You know, like, I'm trying to think what that is. Then she turned to, and she has to every, asked everyone in that row if they're going to sit in that emergency row, if they're able to lift a 70-kilo door and throw it out the window, or throw it out, the, throw it out if, if need be. So she, turned, she says to this Ukrainian couple, and they have no idea what's going on, and she says in German, can you lift 70 pounds? And the woman is like Amber's size, like not very, not very tall and big. And so, so I translate. I said, I said to the woman, I said to the couple, are you able to lift 70 pounds, 70 kilos? They're looking at me like, out of the blue, this random question, are you able to lift 70 kilos? They look at me like, why are you asking me that? 
And I said, well, this woman's asking you that. And it was like such a mess. It was so disorganized. And then they started laughing. And I said, yeah, they can lift 70 kilos. And I just thought, you know, this country is just so, the whole state of, the whole country of Ukraine is just such a mess. And it's just awesome because you can't control that, you know. There are aspects about people that God has created that you cannot control. And human nature is to control, to be able to predict the future, to be able to, to lead and guide and to manipulate the situation. And I thought this country, the country of Ukraine that God had sent us to be missionaries to years ago, is a country that just cannot be controlled. It can't be manipulated. It can't be, it can't be in, in some way. It can only be loved by the unconditional gospel of grace. And that's the only thing that we can do in that situation. Is that God has not come into a scene to control us. He has come to love us unconditionally and not to control us. We would like to control the situation and form people into the image of what we think is righteous. But that is never going to happen. And that's what church is not about. That is, Church is not about creating and manipulating people into an image of what we think is righteous. The body of Christ church messages sermons fellowship the purpose of that is is that we would lift up jesus christ who does not control people but he transforms them he changes our lives through his word and through his grace we are changed into his image and it's not about control otherwise if i'm trying to control something in my life it's something that is, that is it's in, in Ephesians 4, verse 27, it's a place that's marked for the devil. Any part of my life that I'm trying to flesh control my, in a fleshly way, and if you're married, you know what I'm talking about, when we try to change our spouse in some way, if I'm trying to control something and not allow the word, and, and not surrender it to the cross, then what will happen is, is that is something that can, that can be a source of aggravation and annoyance by the atmosphere. And when we get annoyed, and when, we, when, the, when, when something is spoken to us, when a lie is spoken to us, or when something is spoken to us and it's causing aggravation, then we can know that this area needs to be surrendered to God, to the cross. And what does that mean in a practical way? That's why we don't want to give the devil a place in our life in any way. Because any place that we do not surrender to the cross is a place that can be influenced by the devil, that can be, that can be a cause of deception, and it may not look today like something that's it's a dangerous thing. But if something in my life is, in our lives, it is not surrendered to the cross, it will eventually deceive us and cause us to go off the road. It, it is, this is so true. And that is why we want to be so quick to confess sin. That's why we want to be so quick to confess anything um, that is not of God in our lives. Because um, it can cause us, and guess what? Blind spots, I want to wrap this up. Blind spots are those areas in our life that we have listened to the devil who is speaking to us lies that we have a, that we have a, a, we have agreed with that is not divine viewpoint and it's something that's created that creates blindness in our life and we don't see it so there's two what is it number the last thing is number 3 what is this little word that has um, that defeats the devil well two kinds of victory has been given to us number 1 Christ's victory, strategic victory over Satan, which is the cross, which is once and for all. In John 19, verse 30, Jesus said it is finished. That is our strategic victory. Once and for all, he has finished the work. Jesus said it is finished. He did not say it is finished. He said, I started the work. Now you guys, 
you disciples, go finish the work. Jesus said, it is finished. We wake up in the morning and our day is finished. It's in the hand of the Lord. Uh, our situations in our families, it is finished. Our school, our co- you know, Mike's going to college soon. You know, like that whole thing is finished. It's already done in God's eyes and God's going to bring it to pass. Things that we endeavored to start by faith are already finished in God's timeline. Our day-to-day now is a timeline of seeing God's faithfulness to finish something that he has already finished. Secondly, the second type of victory is a tactical victory. I think Wes will probably remember this. In Philadelphia, we taught on this, that there's a strategic, and maybe Kim remembers this, strategic and a tactical victory. Tactical just means, how does, it mean, how does that translate to day by day? How do we experience that tactical victory over the, over the devil who lies? How does that look to us? What does that, that tactical victory day to day look like? Strategically, it's been won once and for all. But how does that day to day victory, it looks like this. And here's the answer to that. Martin Luther actually identified the word he had in mind. The one little word to fell our foe. And he writes this. You know, I think I, if you go on the internet and you kind of just search... The one little word that fells, I don't know if you've ever done that. The one little word that fells the foe, that one little word that defeats the devil. There's a lot of writing about that. Martin Luther actually writes a letter, it's called Against Hans Verst. It's a guy that was really working against him in his in what Martin Luther was doing. That was accusing Martin Luther. And he writes this letter and he says that for all such books written against me, even if they were as many as thousands of them written every day and every hour, are very easily refuted with one single word. Devil, you lie. Just as that, and just as that haughty beggar, Dr. Luther, and he's speaking of himself, so proudly and boldly in those words of his hymn, one little word shall fell him. Martin Luther was saying, the one little word that, that could defeat all the accusations of that, were, of that were being written about him or from the devil or from anyone was liar. That is the one word that defeats the devil, liar. Let me, read, let me explain that to you. Our tactical victory over the devil, the accuser, as a witness at the stand in the court, courtroom of life is that we, number one, discern the schemes of the devil. And if you don't get anything out of this message, just get these two points discern the devices of the devil. Discern. Just use discernment in your life. 1 John 4, verse 1. Do not believe every spirit. That means we don't walk into life with this naivety. Every person that comes into your life may not be from God. There may be people that come into your life and that may be actually sent by the devil to deceive, to bring into your life pain and destruction and, and, and corruption. Discern. Discern every opportunity. Discern every conversation discern people where you're at just live in discernment and it requires critical thinking and and to live in discernment discern people's spirit what spirit are they of jesus discerned the spirit of his disciples he didn't condemn them he just understood where they were coming from in first john 4 verse 1 one of the most important verses in the new testament for our daily day-to-day living is live in discernment live in discernment is that clear just live in discernment because we can if we can discern us um Something that is not of God, if we can discern a lie, and guess what? Learn how to discern a lie from like 40 miles away. Just learn how to, and how do we do that? 
what we heard last week in, in last week's message. Prayer. Prayer get, brings us into discernment. This is number one. I really want us to understand this. Live in discernment. Live in discernment. Live in discernment. Don't call your husband you're from the devil. Don't say that. But just say, you know, discern your husband. Say, hey, maybe, maybe your husband's struggling with something. Or your wife or, or your kids. Learn to discern them. Don't believe everything. Spiritually, pray about things. Hey, that's a great idea. I'm going to pray about it. Just take time to pray. Pray. Because the first natural, the first response is going to be natural generally, usually. Second thing is how to experience our tactical victory over the devil. Number one, discernment. Discern. And number two, speak and proclaim the truth often. That when temptation and accusation comes or fear, be like David when he reaches into his bag and he pulls out that one stone. And what is that one stone for us? It's the truth of the devil's a liar. I'm going to finish with this. The devil's a liar. He never speaks truth. Everything he says, he opens his mouth and he's lying. And when he speaks to you, he's lying. And when he tempts you, he's lying. He's saying that will bring pleasure and awesomeness in your life, but it's going to cause destruction and it's going to cause pain. When the devil accuses a teenager that they are not beautiful, they're not good-looking, that they are not loved, that's a lie. Cast it down. Discern that from the devil. Parents, we've got to teach our kids how to, how to discern what is the voice of the Holy Spirit, the voice of Jesus Christ, and what is the voice of the devil. And learn how to say this. Just learn how to say it. It really works. And, and try this. And do it often. Just say, liar, liar. Just say it out loud. Just liar. You know, a, a thought comes to your mind, a discouraging thought. Just say, lie. That's a lie. <laughs> right? Amen? And just learn how to speak to the devil and just say liar because it really works. Because when we can discern, when we can cast down these thoughts, these, these lies from the devil, then they have no place in us. And it's not causing aggravation or vibrations inside of us that will, that will bring a reaction out of us that will not be the testimony as a witness of the grace and the mercy of God in this courtroom that we are, that we are in daily. I know that we talked about some pretty heavy-duty stuff here. I just want to ask you to pray about this. Maybe listen to the message again. Think about it. Read about it. Um, and just, just be in, a, in a, a, just a, like a time of prayer and discernment about um, things that we so easily accept that are really lies. Learn how to discern them and cast them down. Amen? Amen. So, Father, we thank you, God, for the truth that we are children of God, that we can actually stand up and say, liar to the devil, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. If we just resist him and we just call him out, then he flees from us, just like Jesus did in Matthew 4 in the desert. He would speak truth to the devil. He would speak the word. And when we do that, he flees from us, and we experience our tactical victory. Lord, help us to draw near to the word these days that during the summer we would not become careless, familiar, and just withdraw into just a state of like non-thinking so that we would just not be spiritually naive but just live in discernment. And we just thank you, God, for each precious person here today. And if you've been beat up by the atmosphere or maybe you've been beat up by your sin, uh, just remember today that there is no shame in Christ. There is no condemnation that we are loved and that 
uh, we are being transformed. And if there's something that um, we need to confess to the Lord, just confess it quickly and rebound. Because faithful is he who, uh, if we confess our sins, he's faithful to um, cleanse us from any unrighteousness. We thank you, God, for that. In Jesus' precious name, we pray these things. Amen.